Have you ever wondered how people get treated for medical problems in third world countries? What happens when you break a hip and there is no orthopedic surgeon? What do we have to learn from traditional healers? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lund, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Victor Alanoff. Dr. Alanoff is a family practice physician at Endwell Family Practice and also serves as Director of Clinical Research for Regional Clinical Research Incorporated. He is an Assistant Clinical Professor at SUNY Upstate Medical Center. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Alanoff. Hello, and how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm curious as to how you ended up in Ghana. Well, my wife and I did a lot of third world vacations, and looking at the world from the inside of a bus or from markets, we often had the idea we'd like to spend more time with the people that live there and see what we can do. So we went to an organization called Cross Cultural Solutions, where they had opportunities for both of us to provide volunteer services. So did you choose Ghana, or did they choose it for you? Well, we chose Ghana, but we wanted a place where she could do work that she wanted to do, such as financial planning or financial management, and I could do the medical work. And Ghana offered at their site both of them at the same place. So tell us about your trip. We actually went twice and went in 2007 and 2008. In 2008, we worked with the same people that we worked with the year before, but we went on our own without the aid of the organization which made it slightly more exciting and slightly more interesting because all the plans had to be made in the States on our own. Plus the fact when we got there, we were on our own with any problem developed and somewhat at the needs of the people we were with because we had no place to hide. Uh, We couldn't hide with the organization. So we were busy the second time from six to six every day minimum. We could have been out from six to nine every day. And when we were with the organization, we went back to their facility and said we have something to do with other people and they kind of left us to be on our own. But working in that environment when you're asked to perform services and such, it's really uh, quite rewarding and much, actually much more rewarding emotionally than it is many times in the office when there's money being transacted and people have greater expectations of getting their quote-unquote their money's worth or whatever that we have in the United States. There's a great expectation of outcome, whereas being there, doing the service and being part of their life They're just grateful for you to being there. Mm. In a sense, it's very rewarding and eye-opening. So tell us about the bone setter that you worked with. Well, if you believe in karma or luck, we kind of fell into each other's laps or arms. My original placement fell through, and he was interested in learning acupuncture. And we traded my acupuncture knowledge for his cross-cultural experience, to say the least, of going into his practice and seeing how he treats patients in his world, as it were. He's a third-generation herbalist taught by his father, who was taught by his grandfather, and his grandfather came from a practice in Togo, which is a neighboring country to Ghana. And he's training his son to be an herbalist as well. So the first year, he showed me what he did in his family practice, which was very similar in a way to what I do, except without the technology and without the definite knowledge that we would say, well, this is diabetes, and I do a blood sugar, he say, these are the symptoms of diabetes, and this is how we treat it, or this is a headache, and this is how I treat it. And the other thing that made it quite interesting is he does orthopedics. And when I was told that he does orthopedics plus complicated orthopedics, such as compound fractures, I just couldn't believe that this is what I'm going to see. And on the first day, I felt I was in a National Geographic TV show watching a person treat complicated medical problems, open wounds, infected wounds, gunshot wounds in a 
setting of a, let's say, a dirt floor passageway between two buildings on plastic chairs with instruments that get washed in an antiseptic solution between patients or maybe just wiped off using rags as dressings and various combinations of herbs as wound packings. And I just couldn't believe it. So no x-rays? No x-rays. Everything he has, he says he's had classes in anatomy provided by the government. Herbalism is sanctioned by the Ghanaian government. So they have an ability to practice just like MDs and DOs practice in the United States with the sanction of the government. And they have some rules under which they have to practice. And so they provided him with classes on anatomy and various other medical interests that they may have. So he knew the names of bones. He knew their locations, but everything is palpatory. Tell us about a case that you witnessed him treat that was especially interesting to you. It's hard to narrow them down, but there was a fellow who was actually shot in the knee in the capital city of Accra. So the wound wasn't fresh, but he had been through several medical treatments, and they offered him amputation in the capital city as the only treatment to save his leg because it had become infected. Many people in third world countries don't have the financial resources to go to a doctor, so they often wait too late and too long before they finally get to a place where they can receive help. And I'm not 100% sure he waited too long, but when I saw him, the knee was blown up about twice the size that a normal knee would look. There was an entry, an exit wound, and the herbalist, whose title is called Asafwache, which is sort of a the warrior of the tribe, but in today's world, their title asked him to be the leader of the youth in the tribe because they don't have wars anymore. So he has a high position in the community just by his title, which he's inherited from his father. So Asafache looked at the wound and looked at the leg, and he started using techniques I think that probably physicians would have used 50 years ago of encouraging drainage, so probing the wound with a hemostat and getting it to drain. And then he took a syringe filled with hydrogen peroxide and water and flushed the wound and as he flushed it, the fluid went in one side and then out the exit wound, this purulent material and dead tissue goes on the ground right where we're standing. There's chickens and goats and dogs and other animals, and they quickly run up and dispose of the material that's on the ground. And then he packs the wound with herbs on the outside and on one side. And on the other side, he put a piece of gauze, just like we would use a drain to keep it open, and then wraps it with herbs. And the patient comes back every other day for wound cleansing and cleaning. Basically, for the three weeks that I was there last year, the leg remained on, the infection cleared, there was less and less drainage. And when I asked this year how he was doing, he said he's walking with a limp, but he's okay. The wound healed up. No antibiotics, no pain meds. No antibiotics and incredibly no pain medicines. I was not present when there was a compound fracture, but I have pictures that he showed me of him cutting jagged bone with a hacksaw that we would use to cut metal pipe in the States, a plain old hacksaw in the open, on this dirt floor with maybe a sheet underneath, with blood appropriately all around, cutting this bone. And I said, that's got to be incredibly painful. And he says, some people, they can't take the cutting all the way through, so he'll do it in stages until he cuts all the way through the bone. Or a few people, he would take them to the local hospital where the doctor there would be, it was only one single doctor for 170-some bed hospital, would inject xylocaine around it, and then he could finish the cutting. But most people don't require anesthesia. They just grin and bear it whether it's adults or kids. Their pain threshold or the expectation of receiving relief from pain is different. So once the wound is taken care of, then he has a very peculiar way of treating it in that the bone is set in a wooden cast, so to speak. It's a three-sided open wooden box with rags on each side that keep the wound in place, that keep the leg in place or the arm in place. And they lie on a mat 
for 21 days. No foam. He said it prevents bed sores, according to him. I asked him about DVT, pulmonary emboli, wound infections, and he said very rarely complications occur. After 21 days, he gets people up and moving, regardless of what the fracture was, even fractured hips. Dr. Alanoff, what lessons have you learned? What did you take home to New York? The biggest lesson is is that people are people wherever you go when you get past our preconceived notions or biases of who they are and where they live and what conditions they live in. The relationship that I developed with uh, Safwache is a close friendship and bond as medical professionals, in a sense, of what we do, our positions, the stresses that are placed on us. And he lives in a village and acts as the family physician for the village. So wherever we walked or went, it was we made house calls. Even though we were going to visit the chief of the village, let's say, someone would stop him and tell him about a cousin that was visiting that was sick that needed to be seen. And say, okay, we'll go see him. And that when you went to people's homes, total strangers, their homes are incredibly simple, many of them with dirt floors, many without electricity. You're treated in a, such a warm and kind manner that when you see them the next day or two days later walking through the village, you're treated as a friend and as someone who's not a stranger. And that people have the same concerns about each other, their families, their children, that we have. The only thing that was majorly different was the gratitude that people showed. And sometimes I feel there's a, in my own medical practice, there's a certain tension between doctor and patient in their expectation, a sense of distrust nowadays, whether it's pharmaceutical distrust or distrust in the medical profession. And it's just not there. There's still that sense of respect that I think a lot of us that have been in the practice for a while seem to miss. Did you at all feel when you got back home that our technology really isn't necessary after seeing him and what he can do with almost nothing? On the human side of it, I think it keeps us apart from our patients with technology. You know, there's a lot of jokes about when's the last time doctors touch their patients and did actual clinical diagnosis as opposed to ordering a test and then going by the result of the test but rather than what's wrong with the patient. But we have to have that blend, I think, of technology. I think it's sorely missing there. For instance, if someone is ill at the hospital and they come in with a fever, they treat them as if they have malaria. And if they don't get better, then they look for something else. And their laboratory in the hospital for all these people is much less sophisticated than the laboratory I have in my office. So you do feel slightly handicapped. But once you realize that you have skills that were taught to you many years ago and that you've used them, and you can use them, and that's where you end. You wind up making decisions based on your clinical diagnosis. It kind of feels good. Are you going to go back? We have plans to go back next January to extend my teaching and the services that we provided. This year we did blood pressure and diabetes screening in four villages up and down the road. We found a very high instance of hypertension, probably 40% of the people that came to the clinics, and these were just random people that showed up from ages 18 to 90 and about 10% diabetics. I'd say about a third of the hypertensive knew they were hypertensive and were not taking either medicine that was prescribed or taking a smaller amount that was prescribed, including people that were educated and reasonably well-to-do for their community. And I saw recently in an Internet study that Americans are doing the same thing. They either don't take the medicine that they were prescribed for the particular chronic problem or they cut the pills in half to save money or they're skipping dosages to save money. And so when I said people are people, it's very similar. So someone had come in with a blood pressure 190 over 110. He was a school teacher in the town. I was able to speak English with him and then explaining about his blood pressure. He says, yeah, I know I have high blood pressure. He's taking a calcium channel blocker, which is very popular for treatment there. 
but he was taking half the amount the doctor had prescribed to save money on his pills. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. It makes me want to go tomorrow. I'll let you know. Great. We've been talking with Dr. Victor Elenoff about his experiences working with the Bone Setter of Ghana. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.